Welcome back to another episode of the Community Driven Serverless Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about IoT and its impact in serverless. We have some great guests with us today, and I will let them introduce themselves. Uh, Glenn, do you want to start? Sure. Um, my name is Glenn Block. Um, I'm Director of Product Management for Aud Zero um, and for a new product that we just launched called Aud Zero Extend and for WebTask, which is our serverless platform. Great. How about you, Linda? Um, my name is Linda Nichols. I'm a software developer at Emerging Technology Advisors. Um, we're a consulting company outside of Washington, D.C., and um, we do a, a little bit of everything from uh, node development to serverless to um, a little bit of everything else in the cloud. And last but not least, the infamous Ben. I'm Ben Kehoe. I'm a cloud robotics research scientist at iRobot, and we make the, the Roomba as well, as well as other home robots. And we recently uh, announced connectivity is available through our full line of Roombas. Awesome. Uh, so today I thought we'd just all get together and just casually chat about IoT and how serverless has made an impact on IoT. I mean, internet-connected devices have obviously been around since before the dawn of serverless. Um, and just kind of wanted to, to chat about it. Does anybody want to, anybody have a topic they want to start on? Sure. Um, so iRobot has, uh, of course, a, um, an IoT company um, where our connected robots uh, talk through the cloud to, to the apps and uh, back to us. And we were able to do that. So uh, we launched our first connected Roomba with uh, a cloud provider that uh, sort of offered a full solution. Uh, so some extensibility in the platform, some scripting and things. Uh, but we quickly determined even before launch that it was not uh, scalable and extensible in the ways that we wanted it. So we started uh, looking around for an alternative cloud provider. And we ended up settling on uh, AWS IoT as our connectivity layer yep. uh, with uh, an application built on AWS behind that. And because AWS IoT is a connectivity layer, but not a full solution, uh, that meant that we were going to have to build something. And being uh, iRobot being a traditionally devices company, not a cloud company, um, the organizational expertise of you know scaling to, you know, iRobot sells millions of robots a year. So yeah. we don't, you know, our business is already at scale, and we need to make a cloud application that would handle that, you know, massive wave of connected devices. Especially as now we have our uh, lower cost robots connected as well. So serverless really played a huge role in that because we were able to skip that learning curve, right? Yep. AWS does that for us, and you know we've written essentially just business logic on top of Lambda, you know, DynamoDB, AWS IoT, Kinesis. And it's a total of like 25 different AWS services. Yeah, I mean, you, you touched on a really good point of the fact that mm -hmm. serverless really enables companies now who have been in the IoT business to have less friction, right? Taking oh, it's huge. Taking advantage of, of AWS IoT or Azure IoT stuff or, you know, any, any offerings out there, uh, let alone the other services that the cloud providers provide you to build on top of those IoT offerings. It just makes getting into the market easier, right? It does. And there's actually an interesting symmetry now with AWS Greengrass, 
because Greengrass is offering the potential for the Lambda programming model. So for cloud native uh, companies to move on to devices uh, using their sort of programming models that they're familiar with in the cloud. Yeah. So it's enabling both the device companies to move to the cloud uh, through, you know, serverless technologies and allowing cloud companies to come down to the edge. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think with um, Amazon's green grass and Azure's IOT edge, I think we're going to see a lot of interesting stuff happening in the physical real world space, I guess, if you'll call it, I don't know if that's, <laughs> if that's the right name, but uh yeah, I mean it's 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 a different world. It's definitely a different world than it was a year ago, and we had serverless a year ago. Uh, and with those two products, I think it's going to be things are just going to continually change, right? Yeah, I think one of the things that um, that you kind of mentioned too is um, that by using AWS IoT, it's it's more universal. And the problem had been even like a year or two ago that you would buy an IoT device and then you had to use this proprietary cloud offering that they had. And, you know, maybe there's some performance issues. You have to learn this new SDK. At least now we've got AWS, Microsoft. Um, I started a project that I wrote using AWS IoT and I just ported it over to IBM IoT platform. That's the, is that the kitten detector? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, that's wait. why. That's where you. I know you. What's from. the kit? Okay. What is the? Why, why don't I know oh, about I the kit detector? About, I did hear about this. So this is this is great that, that uh, you guys know about this. I don't <laughs> somehow. So tell me about the kitten connector. Yeah, detector. I'm speaking at um, Cloud Foundry in a couple weeks um, to show off sort of my IBM version of this project. But it started out as an AWS project. Um, I was learning IoT for work. We had a, a project that we were going to do for a client and, uh, and, and kind of using some like some beacons. And, uh, and so I did some, some research, became a little bit obsessed with it. I wanted to hook everything up to AWS IoT that I had all these <laughs> IoT devices. Um, I wanted to hack and hook up to it. So um, I had this kind of real life need for a cat detector because our cats were getting on the counters at night. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to figure out which cat it was. Um, so this project evolved and it became um, AI driven now, where now it you know, will only text me if it's a cat versus a human walking past the detector. And so it was using AWS recognition. And then now I have a version with using Watson as well. Yeah, what, uh, is, your, what is your stack look like on IBM? Um, I'm using object storage and um, IoT platform and then OpenWhisk. That's, that's really it for right now. Um, it's a Raspberry Pi. So the Raspberry Pi, um, when it detects a cat, it takes a photo of it, uploads the photo to object storage. This is the part that I'm like, I'm still sort of working out some bugs in. Um, I get a URL for that um, um, image and then uh, I send that to OpenWhisk and OpenWhisk then looks at this photo and says cat or not cat. Hot dog or not hot dog? <laughs> yeah. So I want to, um, so my goal is I have another talk I'm doing at Node Interactive that's sort of about how serverless allows you to, um, to move between different platforms like fairly easily because there's a lot of the same offerings. So I now want this project to go, I now want to do it on every platform. So. See how that goes. That would be cool. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I mean, I kind of I digress there, but I guess my, my point is is that I just I love not having to deal with proprietary cloud 
uh, offerings now for devices. I love being able to use the, the, the big cloud <laughs> platforms, I guess. So I want to touch on a, a different angle, which is, um, you know, which I, I think, which Ben was also alluding to, which was this idea of how, you know, using these IoT platforms is also allowing the reverse to happen. Products that were not, you know, companies that were not necessarily as strong in their IoT offerings are able to kind of get into the game, so to speak, using platforms like Azure and using AWS IoT. And my, and actually, that's what brought me to serverless in the first place. Is so I used to work at Splunk. And you know, Splunk is a data analytics company, and we we get data from all, tons of places. And actually, at the time, our customers are the ones who started to use Splunk to push device data in, and really told us like you should be looking at IoT because we had like some really really large players that started and and getting device information from everywhere, like tractors, for example. Oh, That's yeah. one company that was pushing tractor information, and then they were using Splunk, which is an analytics tool and a recording tool, to then do things like determine when tractors were about to break, for example, or they weren't functioning properly, et cetera. And so we, we worked with AWS uh, IoT in the early days, very early days, um, because we started to have Splunk customers who were saying, hey, we want to really push our device data into Splunk Cloud, uh, which was Splunk's cloud offering. And so that's really what got me into serverless because we looked at AWS IoT and we had created into Splunk this uh, HTTP endpoint called the Event Collector, which allowed you to just push arbitrary events oh, yeah. over HTTP yep. into Splunk. So I was driving that effort. And... Uh, then we realized that, hey, like there's Lambda, we can use Lambda, and from Lambda we can make an HTTP call to push in, and then the connection was there. And then, um, you know, we, we at AWS reInvent, we had done this demo that showed collecting data from these different, um, you know, like when there's fires, the different devices that, yeah. you know, they, they put out that track, you know, kind of the, the, the fire, and then you could visualize that in. So having that, bridge and that plumbing there, again, we didn't have to become experts on the underlying protocols of the devices. The other advantage I think too is like, you know, whether you're using like Azure or you're using AWS or any of the cloud providers is the fact that you can also uh, be using like a serverless mechanism as a way to route data coming from multiple places. Like some things might be coming from devices, some things might be coming from say Kinesis um, or you know event hubs uh, in the in the Azure case, et cetera. So, yeah. I'm actually curious to hear a little more from Linda about the uh, your thoughts about sort of the the multi cloud nature that you're doing with IoT because from my perspective and what I hear from a lot of people is that they view serverless as requiring a lot of lock-in um, mm -hmm. because the, you know, if I'm buying infrastructure as a service, right, I can run a VM, you know, pretty much the same on Azure versus uh, AWS, but Azure functions are very different from Lambda functions are very different, you know, versus the, the just portability of like a machine image. And I mean, I, I think that that's okay. And I've argued that that's okay, but it, I'd be interested to hear um, how you view, like what, how you felt trapped before serverless and that you feel more free to move between providers now. Well, I think um, I have to give serverless framework a little bit of credit for this too, mm. because when I first started out and I, it was a matter of, 
which platform had the best UI or which one I understood or whatever. So I'm, yeah, I mean, serverless, yeah, <laughs> I have that same shirt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I think the, like the, the great plugins that everyone has developed has really helped in serverless framework to kind of abstract out a lot of that. And I mean, and really, as far as writing my serverless functions, that, that's been pretty easy. Um, but it's only when I kind of get into each platform, like object storage and S3 are very different. So I ran into some struggles there. Um, the IoT platforms are pretty similar. And I'm assuming when I kind of, I'm not, I've, I've barely touched Microsoft at all, except to play a function. Linda, your audio's tripping out. Can you hear me now? It's uh, not sounding good. Did you turn into a robot? <laughs> I actually am a robot. No, it's better. That's now. better. I think it That's was your internet better. connection. You know, okay. I, you know, I was, I'm thinking the same, a little bit of the same, the same thing, Ben. I mean, if you think about it at the end of the day, most of the communities, um, it's the right word I'm looking for. I guess, I don't know, fear, fear of lock-in really comes down to the fact of generally when you're writing a serverless application, you're tying into other services on any of those platforms, whether it's IBM, whether it's Amazon, whether it's Google, whether it's Microsoft. Um, when you're building a application that doesn't require as much of the third-party services, let's just say you're using just serverless and IoT and block storage, whatever that block storage is, right? Whether that's S3, okay. whether that's a storage blob in Azure, whether that's, you know, Google, um, big data, whatever, right? Um, and then tertiary to that is the um, mechanisms of invoking the serverless function. So whether that's AWS IoT, IoT Edge, um, whether that's the, you know, S3 trigger or IBM storage trigger, right? At the end of the day, you're just dealing with, in theory, hopefully across the platforms, the same code, right? You might have to make one or two changes on how the event comes in. But outside of that, if you're writing Node and you can run Node in any of the platforms, then there's not really any lock-in. I mean, in theory, you could just run that in a VM if you wanted to. But if, but if most of your code is SDK calls. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And that ties into the, my statement of if you're relying on other services. Right. So if you're just doing something like, oh, I got some data and I need to check that data. Now you can abstract it. Like, you know, I built, I built applications on top of AWS Lambda where I had to tie into 30 different identity and access management um, functionalities in the SDK. I wrote an abstraction layer. Sure. So I basically wrote my own API so that if at a later date we needed to come in and remove the AWS Identity and Access Management or if Identity and Access Management updated their functionality to make things easier, it was just changing the local API. Do you do you think that that was time well spent? Uh, for the project in in the project that I'm speaking about, absolutely. Okay. Um, because the but amount there was a risk of needing to change providers. It wasn't. It wasn't the risk of changing providers. It was actually the for this specific use case. It was the amount of times we were having to do those specific calls in different locations, and mm -hmm. the amount of um, for the, the, this is very project specific, and it's unrelated to IoT. So I'll digress in a second. But for this specific project, 
the amount of calls that are required to gather the amount of information we needed out of identity access management and to have to do that in 13 different locations in the application, it made sense to abstract it to one or two calls that could then be changed later if needed. Because the services sometimes have different semantics, right? When you talk about storage, for example, like the way S3 behaves versus other services. So you end up in this kind of least common denominator when you Absolutely. start building abstractions, which is which is the trade-off, right? Sometimes it's fine, but it's it's not all it's cracked up to be either. But those abstractions yeah. don't have to be an abstraction to get you least common denominator. Those abstractions or just an API layer can be a way for you to have a, an easier migration path. So instead of having to go through all of your code and strip out all the AWS SDK calls, you have this one location that your code just calls. For, you just go yeah. to that one location and sure. you just update that one library. Right, yeah. right. No, I see what you're saying. But it's, so in that case, it's not so much. But I, I was talking about the, you know, if you want that kind of portability, then you do have to look at that kind of least common denominator. Yes, there's no there's no magic. Um, <laughs> it's a trade off. <laughs> there's no there's no website I can go to and, and drop a, a lambda zip and get a Google function with this or a, a, take us maybe maybe this is a great a serverless plugin. Template. Not yeah. yet, not well, yet anyway. Maybe this is a great serverless framework plugin that says you know here's my uh, oh, here's my IBM or Google functions or Azure function whatever. It's got a trigger of an S3 block, uh, S3 bucket, or an Azure storage blob, and I want to convert it back and forth. That would be an interesting plugin to write. Yeah. Or, yeah. As long as the semantics <laughs> match, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Or something. Yeah. That you have to pay a you know a contractor. Yeah. Six months worth of work to do. Exactly. I mean, and some of those semantics is either upgrading or downgrading, right? A lot of, if you think about some of the base services that you'd be using for something like the, the kitten detector or the cat detector, um, some of those services exist in multiple locations, right? In AWS, you've got mm -hmm. recognition. In Azure, you've got cognitive services. Um, what's the one in IBM that you're using? Watson. 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 So, you know, it's really just a, oh, I'm upgrading or downgrading. It's not having to, you know, kind of what Ben said, which has been true historically, which is relying on, oh, the least common denominator is virtual machine, which is generally what sure. you hear people say when they're doing um, multi-cloud At least now we're at containers, right? Yeah. But to, to, to tie this back together, uh, so, you know, people, Paul Johnston has said serverless is all about the events. And you were mentioning, right, you're triggering off blobs in S3, which um, I'm curious, Linda, how you, so you upload the kitten picture. <laughs> and then do you yeah. trigger off off the event of it entering storage? Uh, in, in AWS, I'm triggering from IoT directly. Yeah, I was, oh. uh, I was going to SNS and doing it okay. that way. Yeah, but then um, I can do IoT directly now in serverless framework. Uh, not so much with IBM. I'm now I'm I'm kind of I'm using um, Kafka now coming from okay. IoT. So yeah, that's another sort of step in the stack. Um, it's like I, the the project's been kind of evolving. So by the time I I do my talk, um, I think my diagram is going to be changing a lot. <laughs> yeah, the volume of the volume of events there is pretty low, right? It is. I mean, I think I Amazon has like, like what, 22 events has. or something? Depends yeah. on how many cats. Yeah, you don't know. She could have 40 cats. I mean. <laughs> just out uh, of oh, frame there, it's just wall-to-wall -wall cats. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, 1, I think. 1,000 cats. 
I think uh, events being you know fundamental to serverless architecture, events tend to be pretty fundamental to IoT as you have sort of independent autonomous systems. The cloud is its own thing, and each device tends to be completely isolated. And so you know we have um, you know and because you know, especially for us where we were in the consumer space and home Wi-Fi is a challenging uh, environment to say the least. <laughs> uh, you, can't, you can't expect that you have a good cloud connection. And so everything is, you know, there's no, there's very few synchronous calls involved. It's a lot of, you know, fire yeah. something off, see if you get something back for, you know, file upload from devices. Um, we don't send those through IoT. I would, AWS IoT has, you know, size limits on the messages. And so we upload direct to S3, but you want that to be authenticated and you can't use use certificates to authenticate with AWS IoT, which is great. Yes. <laughs> uh, but you need, you know, a secret key and an access key ID to, to talk to S3. And so you have to send down a pre-signed URL. It's a whole, um, you know, handshake. Uh, that, that it goes through to upload, but then once it's there, right, we can trigger off the event, the upload event, to pick it up, um, you know, do encryption, do processing, uh, and all of that fits together with the platform, right? That, yeah, and, you know, that's, goes, and, and that's where direct. something like Greengrass or IoT Edge could help you, right? Because then you're not having to rely on the home Wi-Fi if it fails. Yeah. True, yeah. I'm very excited about that, about green grass. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that's interesting in talking about IoT is, you know, how many hoops the platforms make you go through to kind of get everything wired up. Um, and I, I think that's an area that's going to get better, you know, just in terms of, you know, as, as, as more and more IoT adoption uh, is happening. And, you know, of course, there's different protocols as well. Um, you know, there's, there's some devices that are just using HTTP, like using like Raspberry Pi. That's a place where we've seen a bunch of people being interested in WebTask just because it's just easy. You know, create an HTTP endpoint, push data over HTTP, and it works. Um, certainly doesn't cater to all the protocols like MQTT and all of that. But I do expect over time that's going to get a lot easier as more people are kind of moving down that direction. And I'm, of course, concerned, you know, one of my concerns about making IoT easier is the security aspect, right? The, mm. the less friction you have, you know, for, for iRobot, I've been very happy with our commitment to security and privacy of our customers. But when you look at startups, right, when you're a startup and everything's at risk, you may not exist in a month anyway, the risk that you bring on yeah. of you know not involving security is not really any bigger than any of the other risks you're facing and so it tends not to be worth it um you only have to sort of do it out of the goodness of your heart um and you know many companies don't and that's where we see a lot of these breaches come into play and the easier it gets to just set something up that works but doesn't bring in security is um makes it much more likely for any given startup to do it that way. Yeah, I mean, you hear all point. these things in the news, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, internet connected TVs and dishwashers that have completely open HTTP endpoints to them, and they're just sitting there on people's 
home networks, right? This is something that people in the community need to be paying attention to. I'm looking at my mic and saying this very firmly. We, we have had talks <laughs> in the past where we've talked about security. We, our next episode, will probably actually talk more about security and monitoring. So if you're curious yeah. on this topic, I would definitely tune in. Um, but it is something that people need to be aware of. Things are getting easier. Obviously, the tool sets, things like serverless framework have made things easier. Um, things like, uh, you know, all the changes that AWS has made with IoT. And then now you've got Greengrass and IoT Edge. And you've got all these frameworks that help you build all these applications. At the end of the day, your application still needs to be secure. Absolutely. You're, you're building not only your application, but your actual, we should talk about IoT devices in the last few minutes that we have here. <laughs> Your, your application needs to be secure, but so does your IoT device. Like having a Raspberry Pi at your house, like that's that's cool. It's your device. You control it. You're building it. You know what you're building. But if you're building something for the community, such as a internet-connected dishwasher, which, you know, <laughs> I, I don't need to be text messaged when my dishes are done. Like I'll see them when I come home because I'm not home anyway, or I'll hear the dishwasher stop. Laundry is useful, though. The laundry, I'm okay with. I do think... <laughs> The, the one cool the one thing that I have seen that really has been like okay that's really cool and useful I would probably use it a couple times a year is I think it's the Samsung fridge that has cameras inside of it and you can connect mm -hmm. in remotely when you're at the store you're like oh crap did I have any lettuce and you can like pull up your phone and you can see the entire inside of your fridge super cool crazy. but like <laughs> how secure are those types of things right <laughs> Well, the baby monitors is the scary one, right? Yeah. You hear about these all these stories of I just was just reading in the newspaper of this story of, uh, you know, uh, I mean, somebody hacked in and was saying scary things. Yeah, to talking to kid. the baby. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's, it's very scary. So yeah, it's definitely security is really important. And I, and I, I do agree with you. It's not really mm -hmm. well understood. And there needs to be, you know, I think part of it is just having the right places for people to point. Like, yeah. let's say you are a startup, right? We, we're, we're moving fast. What can we do to help us kind of, you know, mitigate? Uh, is there a guide? Is there a book? You know, what is the, what is the right thing? Maybe there should be a website just for yeah. IoT security that captures, or maybe there is one. And if you guys know one, share it. Um, I think maybe what we should do is in the next episode of security, we should spend the night, we should spend the first 20 minutes talking about IoT security. So this episode ran a little short, is going to be running a little short due to some technical difficulties we had in the beginning. Uh, I would love to get everybody back on um, and talking a little bit about IoT security in the next episode, uh, whether that's physical devices or application-based. I see Ben smiling. I think he has lots of opinions on this. <laughs> I have so many opinions. <laughs> I want to hear I want to hear those opinions. I'm excited. Um, Same. I'm, I know, Glenn, you have a, a hard stop, and uh, Lindy, you've got a conference to deal with. Um, so why don't we, uh, unfortunately, wrap up? I know this is a, is a short episode. Um, hopefully it gets people excited for the next one. Is there anything you guys want to end on? Um, I had something I just wanted to mention quickly, um, which was one of the benefits of IoT and serverless, which is that you don't have to use the same language on your device as for the as you are the uh, serverless functions that's yeah. something that i really like i mean i'm using node across the board but you know obviously using using python um either in your functions or on the on the raspberry pi is is cool and it'd be kind of nice to have a little hybrid app um it's a yeah, little absolutely. more inclusive in your project so yeah the inclusivity is something i really like um 
if I'm teaching a workshop on IoT and I'm using my project, then, then everyone doesn't have to be a Node developer. Um, and I really like that. Yeah, I think the scare. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Glenn. Um, I was you no. Know, go ahead, finish, Brian. Well, I was just gonna say, I was just gonna tag on to that and say, yeah, you know, one of the big things that I used to show people with IoT was, at the end of the day, anything is a device. IoT is, for all intents and purposes, a message bus, an advanced message bus with mm. routing capabilities. Yes. And because it's a message bus, you can essentially write a client in any language that their, the SDK supports. So, it. A device can be a web browser. A device can be a Raspberry Pi. A device can be an application on a phone. It doesn't have to be uh, an Arduino. You know, you typically think of an mm -hmm. IoT device and you think of, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get an Arduino and write some <laughs> low-level code and it's gonna connect in and do something. So yeah, I, I agree with the in inclusivity statement. I think it's uh, a great learning mechanism. So the thing, um, the the thing that strikes me most about IoT with serverless is the scale benefits. So you in an IoT world, you, you can hit scale. You know, you can hit massive scale really, really easily if you're if you're let's say your product is successful or your. And so I think serverless really really helps you out there, um, because you just don't have to worry about that problem. And what I would say is like, you know, when we think about kind of I can have like a website for example that's serverless, and sure I can get massive scale there, but the potential with devices is just huge. So I think that's a big, big benefit that uh, you know these platforms provide. Tying them in with serverless is just you not having to deal with that headache, and and also getting back to you know you're not an expert. Like you know, not many people really are experts in how they would scale properly, and it's like you just don't have. Even if you could be, it's just you can use that expertise for something else rather than yeah. spending your time you know dealing with building out scalable infrastructure. Absolutely, Ben. No, I. I think that sums it up really well. I mean, that's that's basically was iRobot's journey was to to say we've got this sort of incoming tsunami of connected devices. How do we how do we build an application at that scale um, without having to go through all the pain of what works for a hundred devices is no longer working for you know thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions. Yeah, absolutely. And it gives you more time to focus on things like security. It does. Which we'll talk about a lot in our next episode. And on that note, Glenn, Linda, Ben, I appreciate you taking the time this morning. Uh, I'm sorry we did not get to get in the full hour. Um, we will catch up again in episode four. Uh, we'll talk about security and we'll spend the first 20 minutes or so talking about IoT security. So and we need to get Cass on that call. Yes. Yeah. Um, we will definitely figure out why Cass was not here. Everybody can... Um, Give Cass a hard time. We miss you, Cass. <laughs> yeah, we do. So uh, thanks again, and uh, look forward to speaking again soon.